Have you ever found yourself deep in the rabbit hole with questions that no one seemed to have the answers to? Join us every other Friday at 9 p.m. Eastern Time for our Ask Me Anything series with author and researcher Zen Garcia as he sheds light on the mysteries which have us all searching together. Thank you so much, everyone, for joining us for another Ask Me Anything with Ben Garcia. This is our 42nd episode, and this is your host, Joy Garcia, and I'm here joined with my father-in-law, very good friend, Ben Garcia. How are you tonight? I'm doing good. I'm glad to be here with everybody. Uh, looking forward to the questions. Yes, Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Zen. Oh, I was just saying, it's always um, a blessing, you know, just a fellowship with people. And, and uh, it's a great honor to have uh, people be interested in the work that we do and looking to us for, for guidance and, um, you know, and inspiration for their own work and, and also for their own relating with the Most High, which is the most critical aspect of what we do. Yes, and we're just so grateful for your fellowship. So thank you so much for joining tonight. And as a reminder, if you have a question for tonight, please make sure to get it into the chat as soon as possible because we do go through the emailed-in questions first. And if we have time, we'll get through the questions that are in the live chat. So if you have a chance, add your question there, and I'll go ahead and open us up in prayer so we can get started ASAP. Father, we thank you so much for your love and bringing us here again once again. We we ask that you would lead this time and that you would be with Zen as he answers these questions that are sent in. We're so grateful for this wonderful, loving community who just earnestly wants to seek truth and just appreciates your love and salvation through you so much. We're so grateful for all that you do, Father, and we ask that you would be with us tonight as we fellowship, and we thank you so much. In Yahushua's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Alrighty, first question is from Timothy. The 5,000-year prophecy from Adam to Yeshua follows using Septuagint chronology, but Shem never meets Abraham dying well prior to Abraham's birth with Septuagint chronology. How can we reconcile this with some of the Melchizedek writings where Shem teaches Abraham or passes Melchizedek priesthood directly to Abraham. Mesoretic chronology would corroborate, corroborate these accounts more, but then discounts the 5,000-year prophecy. Um, yeah, that's a difficult one to... And, you know, again, with regard to the different accounts and uh, the different um, timelines, <clears throat> excuse me, the different timelines as far as the Septuagint and the Masoretic text, um, I don't really know how to reconcile that. Because, you know, the, again, the information is different, but it is my opinion that what we see as far as the writings of Abraham 
on the order of the ancients and how the knowledge was passed down from Noah to Shem and then to Abraham. I, I do believe this is true because in the vestures of light, the passing on of the rod of wonder is specified in similarity as having been uh, given from Noah to Shem and then to Abraham. And so I think there is something to the manuscript and that um, those kind of things confirm that Abraham did meet Noah and Shem and was initiated by them into the order of the ancients and that he received these sacred relics as far as the, um, the rod of wonder. The garments of power, however, they were pilfered from the Noah's Ark uh, and stolen from Noah, and they went to Nimrod, and, well, went to Cush first, uh, Ham, and then Cush, and then to Nimrod. Um, and so these were not in the possession of the children of Adam during that time. And they weren't restored back to Adam's line until Esau killed Nimrod and took the garments of power from him. And then Jacob was given them by his mother, Rebekah. And in the time of Joseph, these two relics were combined again, and they were used as part of the initiation for uh, Joseph, well, Jacob given them to, to Joseph after he had taken the, the staff, the rod of wonder, back from Judah, who gave them to Tamar um, when he betted her and believed that uh, she was a prostitute. And so when these relics came up, well, the, the signet, Judah's signet, mantle, and staff, they came up in the, um, the case that he was bringing against Tamar for he didn't know that he was the father of her child, but because she was the daughter of Shem and she um, was a prophetess as well, when she became pregnant and he didn't know who the father was and not having given his son uh, Shelah to her, that she was supposed to wait um, for union with him, that then he, this, these items came forth in that court case, and they proved that Judah was the, the father of her children, which not only spared her life and placed the, the blame on Judah, but it also preserved the line of Messiah through Pharaohs and Zerah, the twins that were born unto her, because of uh, her laying in wait by the wayside there in Timnah and uh, Judah betting her that that was the way that the Holy Spirit had told her 
um, and instructed her to do so in order to preserve the bloodline. And so that's what happened. But I do believe that these stories of the relics uh, affirm the stories and the writings of Abraham, of Abraham being initiated into the Church of the Firstborn, the Order of the Ancients, as described in those manuscripts. And you can also find these uh, included in the book on the Order of the Ancients, which we put out together with um, the Book of the Ancients by Elijah the Prophet, and together with the narrative of the Kitab al-Magali, which is the Book of the Rolls, and which describes Adam being initiated into the Church of Eden in Paradise, and that he was initially made prophet, priest, and king before his fall from um, the throne room of the Most High God. And so, um, yeah, but, you know, again, out of the mouths of two or three witnesses shall the truth be established. And I also do believe that, yes, the 5,500-year prophecy uh, was fulfilled in the manner that was given to Adam in the first book of Adam and Eve. But with regard to what this individual is talking about, about the Septuagint not confirming or negating that Abraham had met Shem uh, and Noah, uh, I don't really know what he's talking about with that particular uh, aspect of the Septuagint. But if he wants to send more information in, I'll certainly be glad to look at it, but uh, as far as the other texts, I, I do um, believe that they are prophetic and that the information that comes forth is uh, to be considered uh, with regard to all of that. Thank you. Next question is from Charmaine. Exodus 24, thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. Is this explicit to idol worship, or would you interpret this as a constant across all situations? Do not make images, period, for any reason. Like, for example, do not try to draw angels, good or bad, demons, etc. Of course, all the amazing artists in the great and ancient sense did. Do you believe that was offensive to our Father in Heaven, even if one could argue they were misdirected by the Catholic doctrine? No, I don't think that representing... Uh, I think that what God is talking about is idols in the sense of gods that are made of wood and stone, like those that Terra was uh, constructing and selling, and that people gave devotion to and worship to and prayed to, and, um, you know, even blood sacrifice or whatever, that in that manner that God is prohibiting. And a lot of times that these particular items are also representative of the stars or the luminaries, which were also worshipped by the pagans, uh, the sun, for instance. And so, in my opinion, the prohibition is against these kind of idol and, and figurines and 
uh, images, such as those that are set up in in different temples across the you know the Far East, and that people bow down and worship them or, or believe them to be gods or holy relics that have the power to heal um, or you know things of that nature. But with regard to images that represent um, holy angels or the Godhead or even like the cross, uh, I don't. I believe that these are relics that represent the Godhead and that uh, rightly deserve um, and you know can represent well, who we know as the true Savior Messiah and the true Godhead. And in that manner, I don't think that it is wrong to, not that you're worshiping to these, you know, images or idols or whatever, but um, that you send your prayers. Like, I I like to face north because I know that God is sitting above Polaris, you know, in the sides of the north above the mount of the congregation. And the altar that we have in our house is, position facing north. I used to have it facing east towards Jerusalem, but I know now that God is without a doubt sitting above Polaris, and that's where the throne room is located, and so that's where I send my prayers. And even though I have, yes, an altar in the house, and it has a cross on it, and um, you know, photos of loved ones and family members, and holy books and things of that nature, but uh, I'm not praying to those items. I know who God is. I know who the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are. I know who my Savior Messiah is. And so um, it's when you're worshiping the fallen angels, or especially if you're involved in doing abomination, like blood sacrifice or how they um, performed uh, orgies at the same time that they would offer children in sacrifice on the idols of Moloch that were heated up to burn these children to death. I mean, that that kind of thing is, uh, you should know that that's wrong. I mean, to engage in sexual depravity while the child is being murdered um, and, and things like drinking blood or cannibalizing human flesh. Um, I mean, conscience tells you and when things are not right and you shouldn't be involved in them. And so, uh, no, I think that art is represented, you know, can be representative of um, the, you know, again, the, like Gustave Doré and all the images that he did of the biblical narrative and all of the incredible work that he's left behind for us, and that it's a representation of even the New Testament story of the, you know, the passion of Christ, the crucifixion, the resurrection, that these kind of things, and the cross also is a representation of the promise that salvation is through him, that he, as the Lamb of God, paid the price for all of our sins and that we are restored to our first estate and we are redeemed to glory through him. And so, um, 
I don't think that's a bad thing. You know, others may have different opinion on it, um, but I think that, you know, that holy relics, because even in the revelation of St. John the Theologian, it describes a time when the church is caught up that the holy relics, whatever they may be, they are caught up to God together with us. And so um, that's something to be considered. And if that is the case, then, you know, I think that it shows that God is in approval of certain types of uh, items. Um, I don't know if it's paintings or whatever is considered holy relics. Maybe it's the Shroud of Turin, you know, uh, I don't know what it may be, but certainly things that represent the sacrifice that Christ did for us um, can be representation of of the Godhead, in my opinion. Thank you. Next question is from Oates. I was listening to your Enoch with Rob Skiba about the seven segments of the moon. I hadn't heard of that before, but it resonated with me because the moon up close has always looked like a cantaloupe with segments in a navel. I counted seven segments specifically. So very interesting. Do you believe the moon dips into a fluid one segment at a time to recharge the luminance? With regard to the luminosity, the Book of Enoch tells us that in some manner, the moon is a transformer of, um, it, it in some manner receives something from the sun, but it's not dependent. Uh, you know, it is in its own self uh, a luminary. The two great luminaries, as described in uh, creation, you know, in the creation week, that God established the moon and the sun, one to rule over the night, the other to rule over the day and so they are both luminaries and their light is different in property however the book of enoch does say that the moon gathers something of the sun's light and transforms it um and so what that is specific to i i don't know i speculate that you know if that is the case then the moon itself is transforming um but she, again, has her own light, and the properties are different. The moon's light is cooler, whereas the sun's light is dynamic. And you can use a magnifying glass to narrow its focus and create fire, whereas with the moon's light, you cannot do that. And so um, distinction and differentiation and... Uh, and again, with regard to the uh, the description of the properties, the moon loses or gains one seventh portion of light every day. That it um, it has a course that is twenty three hours and ten minutes, and it lags behind the sun fifty minutes in rotation every evening or every full day, it will lag behind the sun by 50 minutes, which is exactly one degree uh, in the sky. And so it transforms 
over the course of it every day lagging behind that portion or that amount of time, it will change, uh, gaining one-seventh portion of light from waxing crescent to full moon and then losing a seventh portion of light from full moon to lunar conjunctive moon. And all of this is described in the book on the lesser luminary, in the book on the courses of the heavenly luminaries, in the book of Enoch. And I do cover and discuss and decipher all of this in my ninth book, The Flat Earth as Key to Decrypt the Book of Enoch. Thank you. Next question is from Brian. Not much is said on Joseph as Jesus, Yeshua's earthly father slash father-in-law. Any thoughts or historical background on him? Yes, we just read through a text in the Yehushua infancy gospels called the history of Joseph the carpenter. And this has a great detail uh, of who Joseph was as the father-in-law, the, um, you know, the, the fleshly father of Christ and that he was given, he was the guardian and caretaker of both Mary and Yehushua. And so I recommend people check out that particular text, but it also shares and reveals to us. And this was a narrative that was given by Christ to the apostles himself on Joseph, his father-in-law. And he talks about how he was an elderly widowed man that had children before he ever was appointed caretaker over the Virgin Mary. And that um, that's how Yahushua had in the scriptures stepbrothers and stepsisters, two sisters and four brothers. And some of the younger James and Thomas became his apostles, and they were the ones that wrote the infancy gospels. And, you know, who better than those that were closest to him in age and that knew him better than anybody else. They grew up with him. They knew about the miracles of his life. Uh, even at a young age, even as an infant, they knew about the Virgin Mary and her life. Um, she was their mother, and they grew up with her. And so, um, you know, the stories of the infancy Gospels, the Protoevangelium of James, the infancy narratives as written by Thomas, who was called his twin, Didymus Thomas. Um, yeah, these stories, um, they shed light on that aspect of what is not found contained in the, the canonical materials, which again is another reason why I recommend people study the extra-biblical material. Because when it comes to the King James, there's only one story of the entire childhood or youth of Christ. And that's when he was, uh, Luke chapter 2, when he was 13 years old and he had uh, went back to the temple after Passover and his, um, Joseph and Mary 
had to backtrap and found him there teaching the elders uh, and the rabbis there in the in the temple about the mysteries of the heavens and they were blown away by his knowledge and another thing that people don't know is that he was they were unable to educate him when he was young because he knew more than all of the instructors all of the teachers and he made them feel foolish and so there were none that could teach him even at an early age because he was wiser than them and knew deeper mysteries of all aspects of the creation and it's because he was god he created everything and so these are things that affirm that his um he came into the world immaculately conceived and with the full authority of divine providence and that he didn't just receive the anointing of uh, of you know the role of messiah when the holy spirit came upon him uh, at his baptism in the river jordan that he was always god even in the first moments of coming into the world it was said that he was to be you know he was like a babe of two years old and he spoke immediately to mary and the shepherds and all those that had gathered for his um birth he he told them that he had come to fulfill the father's mission uh and that he was the messiah and you know this is confirmed in numerous accounts uh, even in the one that we're going to be reading from this Saturday for the Digital Readers Club in Pseudo-Matthew, this story is also told, uh, I believe. And so um, you can join us 7 to 8.30 on our Discord channel. We'll also be live streaming uh, the Digital Readers Club, and we are currently reading through Yahushua Christ, the infancy gospels, the, the you know, the infancy, early childhood, and lost years is what uh, the name of the book is. Awesome. Thank you. And if you'd like to join us, it's actually tomorrow, 7 p.m. Eastern Time, every Saturday. So please definitely join us. Um, I also want to give a shout out to Fitz Gonzo. Thank you so much for your super chat donation. Um, they say, I'm new to you. You do a great job. I recently watched an older video of you and Til Tim Alberno. That was awesome. My question mm -hmm. is, could Native Americans be from the old world pre-flood? Uh, I do think that some of uh, the Native peoples are, um, you know, especially like the Aborigines in Australia. They have a very long history that dates back to uh, very ancient times. Um, but I also do believe that as we see discussed here that in the story of uh, Sarah Willemeca, who was a princess of the Paiute peoples, she tells the story of how her people have waged war against the red-haired cannibal giants um, for a very long time, and they ended up killing many of them in what is Lovelock Cave in Nevada. And this story had you know, been passed down uh, since ancient times. 
and she wrote a book and shared it. Well, it was wasn't discovered until I think it was 1920, 1930s. Um, these individuals went in there to extract all of the bat guano and to use it for fertilizer. And in doing so, they discovered the skeletons, like 70-plus skeletons of these giants, male and female and even children, all those that had went to the cave uh, to escape um, the Paiute Indians because, you know, they were taking, capturing, and kidnapping uh, their tribes people. And so finally all of the native peoples united and went to war against them and ran them into this cave and then built a huge fire in front of it and smoked them out and suffocated them. Uh, and those that ran out, they shot with arrows. And so um, this story was confirmed. But even Abraham Lincoln, in a story, in a speech that he gave in front of the um, the waterfall, um, the falls, uh, why can't I remember the name of it? Niagara Falls. Um, he gave a speech of the ancient race of giants that had lived here in in America and all around the world. Uh, and so it's my opinion that, you know, they were also part of the ancient traditions and um, part of the, you know, could be the pre-Adamic times. And so, I, and I also think that there were other types of hominids not just the pre-Adamites but there's discussion of their being you know little people hobbit type dwarf like people um, and other types you know almost like Lord of the Rings and so in the very ancient times there were many hybrid type and varieties of people said to be in existence even you know some that took on the form of Gorgons that were half man, half serpentine. Uh, there's those that were said to be half horse and half man, like the centaurs. Um, some humanoid beings with wings, like the harpies. And so a wide variety of hybrid type individuals. And we know that the watchers, that the miscegenation, the corruption, the genetic corruption, of the DNA that they involve themselves and engage uh, sexually and genetically crossbreeding with all types of uh, different creatures. And so there were weird embodiments of weird creatures all throughout the world at that time. And many of them, you know, didn't survive because they were hybrid and they couldn't propagate their race because there was no kind after kind for them. And so um, these are things to be considered and they are found spoken of in the ancient record. Uh, there's even in the, the book of Jasher mention of a minotaur type being that uh, one of the sons of uh, the Canaanites, Zepho, 
uh, who was a king, he had slaughtered this particular beast. And there's also weird horse-like um, creatures that come out of the sea that are talked about also in the book of Jasher. And we know that the lion men of Moab are spoken about in the scriptures, in the Bible, and also that in Maccabees 4, that the um, those that are doing the torture that are working as the bodyguards of Antiochus Epiphanes um, then trying to get Eleazar, the high priest Eleazar and his family to eat uh, food sacrificed unto idols that it was the lion men of Moab that were torturing he and his family and so you know these kind of things are found in the scriptures um, King David uh, his uh, one of his greatest warriors, one of his mighty men, I believe his name is Benaiah, uh, he had hunted down and killed many of these lion men of Moab. And that story is found in the one of the books called And As It Comes to Pass, which is a story of um, ancient manuscripts about King David and Solomon. And so, um, yeah, a lot of weird strangeness to the pre-Adamic age. And I am writing about all this and will be revealing it and releasing it in uh, the latest book that I'm working on. Thank you. Which is called what again? The Pre-Adamites and Antediluvian World. Awesome. And I think we have that available for pre-order as well. Um, yes. But with that said, we'll move on to the next question, which is from Fabiola. I would like for you to please tell me your thoughts regarding Ezekiel chapter 36 and 37, where it mentions a prophecy to be fulfilled for all of Israel to return to their homeland and that the land will be fruitful again. Was it already fulfilled or is it referring to a near future or perhaps both? Has it been manipulated by Zionist movement, a.k.a. fake Jews or Illuminatis? A really good question. And my friend Ken Klein does a, a really good job on this. And he, and I believe you can find it on Prime Video. Um, it's 25 signs of the, the fulfillment of the fig tree, the parable of the fig tree. And it has to do with exactly what this individual said, that the blooming of the fig tree is stated as being connected to the regathering of the nation of Israel. And in my opinion, where you see in Ezekiel 36, uh, the story in 37, the story of the Valley of the Dry Bones, and uh, God asks Ezekiel, um, can these bones live? Can they live again? And he does not want to answer because he doesn't want to um, sound boastful and he doesn't want to not believe that God can do all things. And so God, you know, shows him this vision and sure enough, these dry bones are brought back to life. And 
in in my opinion, and I know that there's many ways to interpret this, but I think that one of the ways that one can look at the vision of the valley of uh, the dry bones is in its connections to what the Jewish people suffered during World War II and that they were persecuted to such a degree placed in concentration camps that they were starved to death and they were literally skin and bones and many of them did succumb to death but others did survive and in surviving they regained their strength they regained their health and when the um, when the United Nations declared that Israel was going to become a nation for the Jews and the Jewish people that even though yes this was a Zionist Rothschild and New World Order creation, it was still a fulfillment of the prophecy laid out by Christ in Matthew 24, Mark 13, Luke 21, and in the Apocalypse of Peter. Peter asked Yahushua specifically to explain the parable of the fig tree that they did not understand what he was talking about. And he told them that it was connected to the house of Israel. And so, yes, the story of the land coming back to life, that if you look at the ancient uh, accounts of when the Israelites, the Hebrews, inherited that land again, which, you know, again, I know it's a Zionist thing, and it was something that created... Jerusalem as a cup of trembling, which was a prophetic fulfillment of Zechariah 12. But the land did come back to life. And now Israel is the largest exporter of fruit and vegetables worldwide. But previous to that, it was a deserted wasteland. Uh, It was destroyed. There were no trees, and the land was dry. There was no water, no irrigation. And, you know, even Mark Twain, he describes in his journey to that land how it was a desolate waste. And he didn't think that, you know, it would ever amount to anything. Uh, But even he knew about the prophecy that the, you know, the Israelites would, would come back into that land. And there were many rabbis and many um, individuals that wrote about and knew about and prophesied that this would happen. In my opinion, even some of the Old Testament prophets speak about this regathering. And I do believe that it was fulfilled in our lifetime that in 1948, uh, May 14, 1948, that when Israel became a nation again, this is the first time that this has ever happened to a country where it, 2,000 years after its destruction, 
and after it's erased from the memory uh, of you know the annals of history that it comes back into being in a single hour in a single day and that it also gains its same capital city Jerusalem you know in the six day wars um, 20 years later and in both of these in the year that Israel became a nation as well as in the year that they gained uh, Jerusalem as their capital again, there were four tetrad blood moons, and they all occurred on the Levitical feast days. And so, in my opinion, that is a sign in the heavens for you know these events taking place and having occurred. And so... Um, yes, and not only that, but the shekel, which was described at, you know, the shekel would be the currency, that it would come to be the currency of Israel again. That was also fulfilled. And also the language uh, in Zephaniah speaks about how Hebrew would be restored as the language of Israel, and that also occurred. And so there's many signs and indications that, yes, even though Israel was a, a, a Zionist project that was put into place and that it would be, a, you know, a point of contention uh, for the last generation, but still it was a fulfillment of prophecy as laid out and as ordained by the Most High. And yes, we know that the synagogue of Satan is ruling in Israel, just as they are ruling in America, just as they are ruling in Russia and China and everywhere else in the world. This is the beast kingdom that is set up that comes to power, according to Daniel. And so everything is prophetically being fulfilled as it has and was written down and spoken of by the prophets of old. Thank you. Next question is from Rodrigo. I'm a young man who's learning to follow Christ and at the same time identify as gay. However, I'm searching and grappling with the two concepts. Are they so polar opposite that they actually cannot be merged? What truly was the sin of Sodom? Is there any insight as to why the Lord specifically told the children of Israel in Leviticus 8 about homosexuality? I just find it difficult at times to believe that I have this natural attraction towards men and pretty much am being cursed for it. Uh, that's a, a very difficult thing, and I can't, um, you know, I can't personally explain it for you i i'm personally not going to lay any judgments against you but i do know that homosexuality is cited as abomination in the scriptures um and so you know because i can't identify i don't really know how to advise you but yes that has to be the most difficult um, you know, inclination 
to overcome. And uh, how, it, I, you know, you say it feels natural to you and you have a natural attraction to men, but really this, it's not natural. Um, in, in the scriptures, you know, what is natural is that men are attracted to women and women are attracted to men. But things have been turned upside down and that the seed of Cain has been, even since uh, the early generations, they have involved themselves in perversion to such a degree that they would even sleep with their own daughters, uh, the mothers with their own sons, and they would also have homosexual relations. And so this kind of activity was normalized in their bloodlines. And I do believe that as a curse that, you know, this kind of thing is passed down through their generations. And I really, I don't know how to tell you how to overcome it, but it's not natural. And, um, you know, as far as what they are establishing, the whole Alice Bailey 10-point plan for destroying the family and the traditions of of what was the, the faith of the ancients and the elders, um, that it's clear in Scripture, you know, that these kind of activities were conducted and supported and engaged in by the pagans. And if you are, are struggling in some manner with, you know, feeling these kind of tendencies, um, certainly pray, but, you know, it's clear in Scripture and I'm not going to tell you that it's not an abomination when it's clearly written out that it is. I just don't know how to um, give you advice that could help you with your struggle. Um, perhaps there is somebody that would know different and better and that has some place that you would be able to go and speak to um, somebody that may have had this same kind of struggle. Um, but as of right now, I don't know who to, you know, tell you to speak with. Uh, and certainly because I have no experience um, with this kind of thing or, you know, I can't relate myself um, to that because I, I don't have those kind of tendencies. I, you know, again, I don't really know how to advise you, but I will certainly pray for you. And I will ask that clarity come for you um, because as a young brother that is struggling uh, with, you know, I can't even imagine. Um, I deal with disability and it's a, it's a, a great thing to to overcome as well, but I can't even imagine the struggle that you're going through. And so I will certainly pray for you, but I would 
I would advise you to read and study the scriptures as much as you can, because without question, salvation and eternity is through Christ. And so we want to go forth and sin no more when it comes to those things that we have been commanded to do and the ways of beings that uh, we are to example to world. And so, again, I don't know how to really overcome such, but uh, I will pray for you, brother. And if somebody can send us advice on how to, you know, help this particular individual or others that may be going through similar scenarios, certainly uh, I would like to be able to help. Um, but as of now, I I really don't know anybody that is doing uh, that kind of work. So, but I will certainly pray for you. What's that, Joy? I said, if you don't mind, if I could just mention something. Oh, yeah, please. Uh, well, first off, Rodrigo, I just wanted to mention that I'm just so grateful that you are even coming at the feet of Christ. Yes, amen. He still wants you so badly, and your heart and yearning for truth and a relationship with him is phenomenal. Yes. I also wanted to remind everyone, really, that we are all at war with our flesh. In one another, men and women struggle with lust. Men yes. struggle with lust, lust towards women. Women struggle with lust towards men. Amen. The only way we overcome is through complete dependence on the Most High. And as you grow your relationship with the Most High and the Father, I think that He will lead you. And I just want to remind everyone that we are all at war together with our own flesh. So that's why it's so important to have this kind of community where we can lean on one another and grow in our relationship with the Father together encourage one another so rodrigo I, i'm we're praying for you and we pray that you will continue growing in your relationship with the most most high and we love you brother and with Amen. that on to the next question thank you joy uh next question is from jeff in first samuel 28 is that really samuel that appears to saul or another spirit posing as samuel also you think we'll have Oh, we'll be having meetups this year anytime soon. <laughs> well, certainly after, you know, things settle out with all this corona um, virus, even though I do believe a lot of it is hyped up, but still we don't want to put people at risk and we don't want to take any unnecessary um, chances. And so that being said, yes, we will get together with all of you as soon as we can. Hopefully by the time of the September conference. And if you do not uh, plan on attending, that that would be a great opportunity for you to meet myself, my family, and also uh, you know, a whole range of other really incredible speakers and uh, teachers and um, workers of the, you know, as far as the kingdom and those that are in service to the Most High. Um, what was the first part of the question, Joy? Oh, sure. Uh, in First Daniel twenty-eight, is that really something oh, yeah, that yeah. appears to Saul? Yeah. 
yes, it, it really was Samuel, and you can you can gain clarity on this because Samuel recognizes Saul, and he tells him, you know, well, basically, you know, what are you doing? You know that this is against the law of the Most High, you know, and but then he goes ahead and advises him and tells him that he's going to meet his death on the battlefield, uh, if I'm correct in what I remember of the story. But yes, that was really Samuel, the prophet Samuel. And um, it shows that, you know, witches and um, warlocks, people that are involved in the occult, they truly do have power to conjure up um, the spirits of the dead in some manner, in some form, as this story indicates. Uh, and But again, you know, that kind of thing is abomination and practice that should not be participated in. Um, but certainly I do believe that there is also the theme of that devils and demons will appear and act like they are your loved ones. That if you are conducting seance, uh, things of that nature, that you're not always pulling you know, back the spirits of the dead, but you're actually dealing with devils and demons, and that they will impersonate. Uh, that you know, they can even present themselves as angels of light. Thank you. Next question is from Manuela. Doesn't a day begin at dawn shortly before the sun rises? How can the new moon day begin at dusk? And how long would it last till morning? Then a day would only include the night. I'm confused. Um, yes, the day does begin at dawn. But new moon, um, you know, the sighting of the new moon is based on the appearance of the waxing crescent and is not connected to the sun. You're not looking for the sun in determining what is Rosh Kadesh. You're looking for the appearance of the waxing crescent. And the waxing crescent is connected to what is, you know, the 24-hour period of a day. Not that you know, day as in the 12 hours of daylight, uh, but day as in the 24-hour period of both, you know, evening and dawn to dusk. And so um, the appearance of the waxing crescent indicates that that is the first day of the lunar month, and that is Rosh Kadesh. And so the very next day, the working day, and the first day of what is the seven-day uh, sabbatical week leading to the first quarter moon, that begins at dawn. And then every day thereafter begins at dawn. But yes, even though we only celebrate Sabbath from the daylight hours, from dawn to dusk, still a f entire quote-unquote day includes the daylight and the evening portion. And so, um, and if you also look at the, this distinction is spoken about in Christ, 
that he describes the daylight hours as being 12. Um, and, you know, there is a evening portion to the day as well, or, you know, a 24-hour period. Thank you. Next question. What if it is a cloudy day? Oh, I'm sorry. This is part of the first one, I think. What if, what if it's a cloudy day? How can I determine the new moon day? Is there also a way to calculate apart from the actual sighting of the moon? Or are there apps or something like that to aid this endeavor? Ah, separate question. Yes. Um, there are websites. And I did provide this. Let me... Well, I'll, I'll tell people the website when we come back from break. But there is um, different websites that people submit in, having sighted and having seen the first appearance of the Waxing Crescent. And so I, I believe that, yes, we should first uh, try to find it for ourselves and that the best way to get used to the Enochian calendar is to spend at least those 12 or 13 evenings when the waxing crescent is uh, supposed to make appearance looking for and determining that day for yourself. But if it is cloudy or if it is rainy and those days do happen, then we, because we are fortunate enough to have a large internet community, we can stand on the witness of others for that determination. And then we can calculate accordingly the seven-day sabbatical weeks as they align to the first quarter, full, third quarter, and lunar conjunctive moons. And then you can celebrate Sabbath accordingly. Um, but at least, you know, even if you're following our calendars, um, that look for the waxing crescent for yourself and in seeing and knowing what day Rosh Kadesh occurs, you will know the correct days for the Sabbaths as well as the Levitical feast days. Thank you. It is 9.58 p.m. I think this would be a good time to take a quick break. So we'll be right back. truth seekers are constantly studying alone. But there is a place where we can come together. The Digital Readers Club is our online ecclesia meant for those who've forsaken churchianity but still want the closeness of a family to study with. Join us every Saturday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time to put together the puzzle pieces of truth scattered throughout the ancient scriptures. Hello everybody, as you know, in our Digital Readers Club, we just finished the Great Commission 3 on the end time apocalypses and are now moving forward because of your vote into the Yahushua Christ, the infancy, gospels, early childhood, and lost year narratives. And so in this particular book, and the reason I compiled it is because there's only one account in the entire Bible that relays anything with regard to the youth of Christ. And it is the story of when he's 13 years old and he um, leaves 
Mary and Joseph and they retracing them st their steps find him teaching the rabbis and the elders in the holy temple the Jerusalem temple about the mysteries of the heavens and so I wanted those of us that are believers and that hold and have faith in Christ to have the fullness of the stories and the accounts of his early life that are available to those that wish to know more. And so that was the reason for the compilation of all of these accounts is to give you better insight into who our Savior Messiah is and how he was, even in his youth, without question, he was the fullness, the incarnation of God, and that he had the authority, even then, of life and death, and that Mary used even his bathwater and his swaddling clothes to heal leprosy and to bring people out of their demonic possessions. And so I believe that the study of this material will greatly bless your life and help you to better understand the core tenets of why we believe on him and know without question that salvation is through him. Your partnership with Sacred Word Publishing goes further than the publishing of ancient manuscripts and weekly video content. You also make a huge impact across the earth in orphanages in Myanmar, India, Uganda, and Kenya. Your support is crucial for the development of the Ecclesia of Real Truth Seekers. We thank you for joining us in hosting Secrets Revealed, Momentary Zen, the Digital Readers Club, Ask Me Anything series, and other shows that have helped lead so many to the truth of salvation. To become even more involved, please visit patreon.com slash sacredwordpublishing where you can partake in exclusive, interactive, patron-only content and help us continue shining the light of love in this darkened world. And now this is our, well, not our favorite time because the whole time is awesome, but this is time for our giveaway tonight. So every Ask Me Anything with Zen Garcia, we do give away a book that Zen has chosen. So um, Zen, if you could please just tell us which book, and then I'll ask you uh, why you chose it a little bit later. Um, oh, actually, Justin wants to ask the question first. Okay, sure. yes. so let me. Uh, okay, let me ask the question first. Why were Shadrach, Meshach, oh, and whoever answers the question in the live chat first is the one that wins the book. So here's the question. Why were Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego thrown into the fiery furnace? And Zen, if you could please let us know what book you'd like to give away tonight and why, while we wait for the answer. I'd like to give away the Chronicles of Jeremiel. And the reason I selected this book is because it is one of my most favorite, and it has an incredible 
descriptive um, account of all of the ancient biblical stories, which most people are familiar uh, as far as the canonical text, but the details that are included in this particular parallel narrative is absolutely mind-blowing. And so I think that um, we don't speak enough about this, and perhaps actually we should do a, um, you know, this, the book of the month at, at some point very soon, uh, because most people have never heard about it, and it is an incredible read. And I guarantee that whoever wins and those of you that study the Chronicles of Jeremiah will be greatly blessed. And one of the stories that is contained within it, which you don't find um, a lot of information about, is chapter 9. It's called The Formation of a Child. And it speaks about the preexistence of humanity and how God knew us before the foundations of the world, how he had shown us, and, um, you know, even while we were nine months in the womb of our mother, that at that time, the angels took us and showed us the different aspects of our life and what would happen to us, and even, you know, what would happen when we die. Um, Our whole life is prophetically shown to us, and they also warn us as to the reasons why we should choose to be righteous and not wicked. And then uh, it speaks about how the when the soul is born, you know, we drink from the cup of forgetfulness, and all that is uh, locked down in memory. Uh, even though it's burned the soul, we are entered as a clean slate. And then we spend a lifetime where we remember at certain points in our life through deja vu uh, the lessons that we were given, uh, even as we were spirits that were then united with our bodies in the wombs of our mother. Fantastic story. Thank you. Okay, great. Um, All right, so thank you, Zen. Uh, The people who, we actually decided two winners because they were so close. Actually, everyone was very close, but we were looking for something very specific. Um, Epiphany of Veritas, they answered because they refused to serve any other god. And Elihu said they refused to bow down and worship the statue. And that is correct. We would also like to read the verses just because it's so beautiful. The story from Daniel 3, 15 through 18. Now, if you be ready that at what time ye hear the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, and dulcimer, and all kinds of music, ye fall down and worship the image which I have made. But if ye worship not, Ye shall not you sh- ye shall be cast the same hour in the midst of burning fiery furnace. And who is that God that shall deliver you out of my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, 
We are not careful to answer thee in this matter. If it be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of thine hand, O king. But if not, be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. Excellent. Yes. 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 So they were both. They were both right. So if you could, Epiphany of Veritas and Elihu Bernard, Bernard, if you guys could please email us at sacredwordpublishingllc at gmail and send us your um, your shipping address. We would be happy to ship those to you. Congratulations. And with that, we'll move on to the next question, which is from Dean. Who wrote the book of Revelation? There are a few Christians pushing the idea that John is not the author. Um, I don't know who's pushing that, but in my opinion, it is John the Revelator. And, you know, he was the one that was exiled to the Isle of Patmos. And so um, I don't know why or who is saying different, but um, as far as I know, it's John the Revelator. Thank you. Question from Tom. Can you provide me the scripture that says the waxing crescent moon is the first day of the biblical month? I thought I had seen this reference, but I can no longer find it. Yes. Um, oh, and I also I do have the website for the sighting of the new moon. You can find the Worldwide New Moon Day report at www.truthofyahweh.org backslash moon.htm. And so, okay. I'll provide a couple of passages with regard to. Also, I'm adding that link, the truthofyahweh.org, into the live chat. If anybody would like to take a look. All right. Give me just a minute here. Um. It's called The Splendor of the Moon. So let me just search that and then I'll... You can find it in the Wisdom of Jesus, Son of Sirach. And also, I'll read from the Book of Enoch as well. Because there are two places that the... Waxing Crescent is cited as the beginning of the month. The Splendor of the Moon. It is the moon that marks the changing seasons, governing the times, their everlasting sign. From the moon comes the sign for festal days, a light that wanes when it completes its course. The new moon, as its name suggests, renews itself. How marvelous it is in this change a beacon to the hosts on high, shining in the vaults of heaven. So that's, you know, Jesus, the wisdom of Jesus, son of Sirach, which is part of the apocryphal text. And the word Kadesh 
which means the new moon, a month, um, comes from the verb kadash, which means to be new, to rebuild, to repair, or to renew itself. And so that's exactly what the moon is doing when it reaches the waxing crescent phase. It is rebuilding its light. And so, all right, let me find here from the book of Enoch, verse 72.5 or 72.5. At that time, it appears and becomes to you the beginning of the month. Thirty days it is with the sun in the gate from which the sun goes forth. Half of it is an extent, seven portions, one half, and the whole of its orb is void of light except a seventh portion out of the 14 portions of its light. And so you see that when the moon is lit by that one seventh portion, that is the beginning of the month. That's when it appears as a waxing crescent. All right, one other thing here. Um... I'll share one other passage. This is if I can find that. Okay. Well, this is from Ezekiel the Tragedian. This month shall be the first month of your year in which I'll lead you to another land which to the Hebrew fathers I did swear. And say to all the peoples in this month on full moon's eve, the paschal sacrifice to God present, and touch the doors with blood, which sign the fearsome angel shall pass by. And so this is telling you that Passover is on the eve of the full moon. And the full moon, the following day, the 15th of Nisan, would be on the Sabbath of unleavened bread. And so that tells you that 15 days before, the waxing crescent made its appearance, and that is the beginning of the month. Thank you. Welcome. Next question is from Cyrus. How did Mr. Garcia come to the conclusion that the Godhead includes a feminine Holy Spirit? Could you please provide scriptures to help me study it out? Just FYI, Zen, just, I know you're not on Facebook a lot, but Rob Skiba did release that, um, that article that he mentioned, and it oh, goes great. into a really deep study. So feel, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm going to also add that to the chat so people yeah, can check I'll, that out. I want to check that out myself. Yeah. That's great. <laughs> Uh, I'm really, I'm really glad that he finally did this study. Um, I know, you know, that this was of such great controversy, and I don't blame him at all for not wanting to, <laughs> to become any more controversial than he already is. But, um, yeah, uh, with regard to the feminine Holy Spirit, um, Genesis one twenty six through twenty eight, it tells us that man. There, the pre-Adamites made in the image of God, male and female created he them. 
And even that word for he is not found in, when you look up the Strong's Concordance, it's just male and female created them. Uh, there's not, you know, a, a, a male personalization to the Godhead. But in fact, it tells us male and female, that the Godhead is male and female, in the same way that the humans that were made in the image of God are male and female. And with regard to the feminine aspect of the Holy Spirit, all one has to do is go to Proverbs. The entire chapter of Proverbs discuss wisdom, which is the Greek word Sophia and the Hebrew word Hokmah, um, that wisdom is the Holy Spirit, and that wisdom was pre-existent with the Son, the Word, and with the Father before the creation of the world, before the foundations of the earth were laid. And you can find that in Proverbs chapter 8, I believe it's verse 25 and onward. But all throughout the text of Proverbs, as well as the wisdom of Solomon, the Baruch 3, the wisdom of Jesus, son of Sirach, uh, all these apocryphal texts, they describe and speak about the Holy Spirit as being feminine. And I also received confirmation of this in the Thracian Chronicles, which are, you know, very ancient writings, the first writings uh, after the flood of Noah's day. They date back 7,000 years. And in the first chapter of the book of Atom and Ua, the Godhead is described as the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is feminine, uh, the feminine aspect of the Godhead. And it is also confirmed in the legends of the Jews in chapter 1 on the creation of the world. It describes the Torah um, that God taking counsel with the Holy Spirit and with the Son on the creation of humanity, uh, that they are concerned that humanity will be tempted and fall. But Christ accepts the role as Savior Messiah, and the plan of redemption is put into place. And so they go ahead with the creation of the world and the creation of humanity. And, you know, again, it's describing there the Godhead in the same way that we see the Trinity is revealed within the first three verses of Genesis. You have Elohim, which I believe is the Godhead, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, creating the earth and the heavens, the heavens and the earth and the heavens becoming destroyed because of the war in heaven. And then you see the Spirit of God, which is the Holy Spirit, hovering upon the waters of the deep. And then you have the voice, the audible voice of the Father, Yahuwah, calling forth light, light be. And that is when Christ, the Son, is revealed to the angels of the Most High. And it is also in that moment that the creation comes into 
perceptibility. And that is also the moment that even we, as part of the sons of God, shouted for joy at the appearance of the universe, that it was first brought into, you know, being able to finally be seen because light, uh, Christ as the light of the world, made it visible. And so that was, you know, the moment that we saw the creation for the first time and how massive and how impressive and how glorious and how incredible uh, the existence is and the creation is and our part within it. And so, um, you know, as far as, and, and not only that, but in the ancient prophecies of Christ, I share many other ancient texts which also confirmed the Trinity um, and, you know, the Holy Spirit as being feminine, such as the Odes of Solomon and so many other texts. And so um, if you're interested, the Great Contest 1, Chapter 2, is about the Holy Spirit. And, you know, there's many, uh, a lot of information there, but... um, but yeah, you can study it for yourself. Just look at Proverbs uh, chapters 1, 3, and 8 specifically. And the Holy Spirit is described as she therein. And also, even the word for the Ruach HaKodesh um, in the ancient Hebrew, Aramaic, and Syriac, which are the first three languages that came about, um, they are all the Holy Spirit is feminine. And it wasn't until it was changed into Greek that it was made impersonal. And the Holy Spirit was then described as he, she, and it. And then translated into the Latin and English, the Holy Spirit became male. Thank you. Next question is from Jordan. Is there any place in old manuscripts where it explains why God created the devil and the fallen angels? Why would such a loving God create something he knew would cause so much suffering and death and even eternal death? Why would he create a being he knew would end up in the lake of fire for all eternity and take many with him? Uh, Good question. And yes, the apocalypse of Sidrach. You can find that in the Great Commission 3. Sidrach, uh, which, you, you know, we just mentioned, Sidrach, uh, um, Abednego, and Meshach. Um, and so he asked God the exact same questions. Why would you create the devil if you knew he was going to tempt Adam? Why would you let him tempt Adam and cause him to fall? Why not just kill him off? You know, why even allow him to um, to plot evil and to carry it out? Well, um, God reveals to Sidrach in that particular text that, you know, Satan was his creation. He was his first most and most glorious angel. And he loves him. And he loves all of the angels in similarity to all of humanity. But he gave them free will, just as he gave us free will. And if we choose to rebel against him, 
Well, his hope is that we will repent and come back to him in having learned our lesson uh, and that hopefully, like the prodigal son, we will return. But um, Satan and Legion, they were also, you know, given the chance to be as gods themselves, to be like the Most High. And they wanted to do so, and it was part of the purpose. You know, they also had a purpose in fulfilling this role as adversary. And it would be to challenge those of us that would incarnate into flesh form, and that they would wage war for the souls of humanity against the Most High and they became dedicated unto evil. And so they want no repentance, and they want no, uh, you know, they want no part in being good. They want to relish in their, um, rather rule in hell than serve in heaven, is their whole philosophy. Do as thou wilt. And so because of that, um, this world came into being. And I believe that its purpose is to give both the angels and humanity free will and to let us decide how we choose to be and whether we choose to serve uh, God or the devil. And that this lifetime, just as in the war in heaven, we have... Uh, a chance to determine that. And I think that this whole world is also um, an experience of why we need a sovereign, loving, just, and righteous God to rule over the natural order of creation. Because otherwise, given, you know, chance to do as we will, um, we would create chaos and we would create destruction to such degree that there should be no flesh left. And so this experience of this duality, this lesson in this fallen state of being is to show all of us why we should love the Lord, in my opinion. Thank you. Last question that was emailed in, and we'll move on to uh, live questions. The question is from Brian. I just saw a remake of Conan the Barbarian. Just curious if you have ever found these tales in your research. Usually remakes are allegory tales re-pushed into the minds of modern cultures and was curious if you ever found real stories regarding these types of tales. Lots of serpent imagery and bloodlines involved. Yeah, I think, you know, the story of Conan the Barbarian is uh, symbolic of a lot of what were the, the stories of even the giants, you know, like Nimrod and, um, and Og of Bashan and the way that they lived um, is... You know, symbolic of Conan the Barbarian and this great warrior, even Hercules, you know, the 
demigods um, that ruled the stories, you know, like the movie The Gods of Egypt. Um, that a lot of these tales are based upon the accounts of what these demagogic uh, individuals did during their lifetime and how they lived as heroes and certainly the giants uh, even though they were evil and that they oppressed and they were cannibals but they were heroic in their behavior and their action and their you know lust for war and battle and so uh, I do think that you know accounts like Conan are based upon and certainly yeah the serpent imagery and uh, you know, that particular priest transforming into a serpent, that these are all based upon ancient narratives. Even uh, Bell and the Dragon, the story of David and how he slaughtered uh, that particular basilisk that was worshipped by the Babylonian people. Uh, these kind of narratives are found all throughout the ancient scriptures, which is one of the reasons why I love to read them. And, you know, if you've never read the Colburn Bible, uh, it is full of stories of this kind of narrative, uh, the ancient wars of the ancient kings and the, um, the kind of uh, opponents that they fought against. Uh, the Norse Eddas are full of this, you know, the story of Grendel. Um, there, there's all kind of narrative of giants and weird and anomalous creatures and their battles against humanity and, um, and you know, historically, legends, um, oral traditions. I mean, incredible, incredible tales, which is why I love the study of mythology and share these accounts in my writings. Thank you. We'll move on to the live questions now. And the first one is from Fabiola Austin. Shalom Zen, what is the difference between World Last Chance Calendar and Sacred Word Publishing Calendar? The World's Last Chance, they align their calendar to the day after the lunar conjunction, which is not always the day of the new moon or the waxing, the appearance of the waxing crescent. And so, in my opinion, they are off um, according to the calendar by a day or so. Because, um, again, the lunar conjunctive moon occurs one or two days before the waxing crescent. And so they could be 24 to 48 hours um, delayed with regard to what I believe is the correct timing for the beginning of the Enochian month, as I spoke about in you know those particular examples. And there are many more. If people are interested in the calendar, the reason I haven't written a book on the calendar is because one of our authors, my friend Diane Culver, she did an excellent job in writing a book called Yahweh's Unique Timepiece Explained. And it's all about the calendar and how to determine and how to follow. And she literally has thousands 
of quotes in this book that confirm the waxing crescent and the Enochian lunar solar calendar and how it was utilized by the the Hebrews, the Israelites, up until the time of Hillel when he locked the calendar into uh, you know, following the great Gregorian solar calendar and he locked Sabbath to one in every seven days, divorced from the cycles of the moon, which caused the confusion, I believe, spoken about in Jubilees chapter 6. Talking about, even in the book of Enoch, about how the timing of Sabbath and uh, the occurrence of new moon and the Levitical feast days, that knowledge of all that would be lost. Um. And so it was my work on the Book of Enoch, the book on the courses of the heavenly luminaries, which revealed all that to me. And so in the Flat Earth, that's key to decrypt the Book of Enoch, I go through my whole journey of how I came to knowledge of the ancient calendar and share all of that there with you. But again, my friend Diane Culver's book, Yahweh's Unique Timepiece Explained. I don't think there's a better book written out there about the calendar. Thank you. Next question is from Leo Key. Are we all part pure bloodline and Nephilim? I do believe we are mixed. And that Daniel also revealed to us that... um, as you know, the iron mixed with miry clay, that they will in- mingle themselves amongst the seed of men, and so yeah, I think the you know the the bloodlines are all mixed, and that it doesn't matter anymore. That whether you are serpent seed or the uh, the seed of the woman, that Christ dying on the cross extended salvation to all and that eternity is through him for anybody that desires it wishes it and believes upon his name and that being born again going forth to sin no more that um that all we have to do is uh, to have faith to believe to trust in him believe in the cross Know that he is Messiah. Thank you. Next question is from Facts Not Fiction. Is there a specific event that kicks off the seven-year tribulation? In other words, what happens on the very first day to indicate the start of this? (laughs) Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, I don't really know how to answer that. Uh, but with regard to the the first event of the 70 years or the 80 years leading to the end of days, that was the regathering of Israel as a nation. And that we are told that when you see the young and tender shoots come forth, that know that this is the generation that will see the return of the Messiah. And so, with regard to the Great Tribulation, um, 
I think uh, what we we have to go to Second Thessalonians, and that Paul references there that there will be a great falling away, and I believe that this falling away will have to do with evil being labeled good and good being turned into evil and that patriots and Christians will be prosecuted that you know God uh, Christ tells us be aware um, that no man deceive you that there will be uh, wars and rumors of wars earthquakes in diverse places the waves and the seas roaring uh, that they will persecute us that you'll be brought before you know the kings and the synagogues and that we will be persecuted for his namesake uh, there will be signs in the heavens and in the earth these kind of things and so I think that you know we are not to recognize a one particular event but to recognize the seasons and the unfolding of what is the beginning of what Christ alluded to in Matthew 24, Mark 13, Luke 21, and the Apocalypse of Peter as being the signs of the end of the age and of his return. And so, um, certainly the strong delusion, it speaks about that because they have no love of the truth, God will provide strong delusion that even the most elect shall be deceived if it were possible. Um, certainly, you know, the going into the tribulation at some point, we will see the Antichrist being revealed and declaring himself as God in the temple of God. And so... Um, the Antichrist and the two witnesses. Because, in my opinion, we may already be in tribulation. We don't know. Uh, I tend to think that this is going to play out until 2028, which, you know, gives us a few more years of actually reaching that seven-year tribulation, if that's according to the timeline of Psalms 80, where, I mean, Psalms 90, verse 10, where it speaks about, you know, Christ tells us that in the generation of the blooming of the fig tree, and that that particular verse tells us a generation is 70 to 80 years in strength. And putting us 80 years out, uh, that in 2017, that was the 70-year anniversary of Israel as a nation. And so putting us 80 years out would be like 2027. And so and we're at 2020 now. Is that seven years? Is I mean, maybe it's the COVID virus. You know, maybe that's the kickoff. Maybe that's the indicator. Who knows? Certainly things are changed and will never return to the way they were previously. 
And so I think it's important not to try to, again, set dates or to try to pinpoint specifically, but to study all the end-time apocalypses that I believe each one of you should have the Great Commission 3 and you should be reading through it all the time. I mean, studying even a couple hours every day, reading and familiarizing yourself with those ancient manuscripts because they provide you the answers for the questions you have on the end of days. And they reveal the timeline for how things shall unfold. And if you study those manuscripts, you'll come to know better the unfolding of what is imparable metaphor in the book of Revelation. And you'll understand the end times more than 99% of the pastors and preachers that have never read this material. And so I think it's a very important work and one that uh, those of you that are interested in prophecy should without a doubt consider studying and reading. Thank you. Also, Justin wanted to add a, add a comment. Um, he suggests to Facts Not Fiction to uh, read Daniel 9, where a seven-year peace treaty is mentioned being signed, yes. then halfway through the seven years that the Antichrist would break it, and when the Antichrist breaks the covenant, that the abomination of desolation would take place beginning the real Great Tribulation. Yes, good point. And with that, next uh, question is from God's Man 144,000. Zen, I've heard you in previous broadcasts say that Enoch says that there are 30 days in a month, and then every fourth month has 31 days. How does this work with the moon only having 29.53 days in each cycle? My understanding is that some months have 29 days and some months have 30 days. Yes, uh, that particular calendar that I was talking about where each of the months have 30 days, that's a solar calendar. Enoch describes actually four calendar systems uh, and how they come together to make one. He describes the cycles of the sun and a 364-day solar cycle. He describes a 354-day lunar cycle. He also describes what are the cycles of the wandering stars, those particular luminaries, which, you know, some are years. Um, I don't know the exact cycles of each one of those particular luminaries, but he does say that they do have influence upon humanity. And the Chronicles of Jeremiah also describes their influence uh, upon us. And then you have the great cycle, or what is called the great year, and that is the movement of the zodiac, which is a 25,000-year cycle. And so those motions of the sun, the moon, the stars, and the constellations all come together to create what is the heavenly clockwork system. And so, in order to fully understand God's calendar, one has to include 
all of these aspects in the determination and the cycle of time because that's exactly what's happening in the heavens above us. But with regard to the Enochian calendar and its uh, determination of Sabbath and the Levitical feast days, all one must do is understand how the waxing crescent determines the beginning of what are the alternate 29 and 30 day lunar months. And then you have, um, you know, these Sabbaths lined up according to the quarterly phases of the moon. And then the other aspect of the solar calendar, the 364 day solar calendar, is that every third year or so, according to how these two calendars come together, you have to add an additional, uh, an intercalary month the 13th month, Adar 2, which is very simple. Uh, you just add this 13th month every three years or so, to, to, depending on, you know, again, the barley feast uh, and whether the barley is ripe for the first month of Nisan or Abid. And meaning that the barley sheaf can be waved by the high priest on the day of for first fruits if the barley is not in season and they cannot waive the sheaf then you have an additional 13th month and then that puts you back into alignment with the barley festival and the Enochian lunar solar calendar so um, all this is explained in my ninth book Flat Earth as Key to Decrypt the Book of Enoch it's also covered in Diane's book, Yahweh's Unique Timepiece Explained. And if you want to get it from, you know, the prophet himself, the book on the courses of the heavenly luminaries, chapter 71 through 84 in the book of Enoch. Thank you. Next question is from Instant Faith. Will the top level of the New World Order and Illuminati be required to take the mark of the beast, or do they know the implications of this and will be exempt? No, they will be taking it. They, um, yeah, they are, they will promote, push, and be part of that system. And, yeah, they, they know the implications of it, but they don't believe um, in the God that we serve. They believe in the devil and they believe in the new world order. They are the children of perdition. And so they know their role and they are fine with having the divine right of kings and being able to be above the law and to indulge in their the, the lives of you know their indulgence and pleasure and uh, their uh, desire to you know, rape children. I mean, it's weird the kind of things that they take pleasure in, but uh, they, they are part of the blood rituals and the blood sacrifice and all of that. And they participate uh, and they indulge and they enjoy it. Um, and, 
you know, they've got to know they're evil. I mean, conscience, they, they don't listen to conscience anymore. They've long turned that part of themselves off. And they got to know they're evil. I mean, anybody that is in that kind of place, you have to know you're evil. Um, but they're okay with it, just like Lucifer and Legion. They know the role that they have, um, and they're going to play it out until the end. Thank you. Next question is from MJM. The first four seals are the four horses. Who are the writers of these four horses? Um, well, you have death and war. Um, it, you know, Rob and I did a whole show on this, and I can't remember that exact show. We've done so many. Um, what I can't remember exactly what chapters we were talking about, but there was a portion of the book of Enoch that spoke about the end of days and the judgments. And we were talking about, you know, again, that there's, um, the writer that brings, um, peace and a seemingly economic security. And then you have the peace comes sudden destruction. But with regard to the, the four writers and who they are, I, I don't think anybody really knows for with any certainty that, yeah, they represent symbolically different aspects of what will be the unfolding of the end times. But with regard to who they are connected with as far as, you know, presidents or prime ministers or kings or uh, individuals, we don't know, but you know, even in that show, uh, I remember Rob talking about how he thought that even George Bush, you know, kicking off the the fight of the war on and of terror, that that was part of possibly, you know, the writer um, that brings war, and, and and certainly that did kick off the the whole cycle of you know, the war on terrorism for us living in this time. And so um, then you have, you know, death and pestilence and famine and who knows? I mean, you know, even this fake COVID virus thing, I mean, that could be part of that. You know, we, we don't really know. I can't really give you... Um, a detailed answer or an explanation on that. But certainly I will consider looking at it and examining it further. And maybe then I can provide you a better answer, but as to right now, um, not having done the study, I can't really tell you, um, other than, you know, it will represent portions of what I believe to be the unfolding of the end of days, sort of like the plagues of Egypt. Thank you. Uh, next question is from Tim Pack. Do you know of certain languages of the angels, like the languages of the birds? And then it says an Enochian S-Y. I'm not, Enochian Psi. I'm not really sure. But maybe you can answer the first part. 
Um, yeah, you know the 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 books on Solomon describe how God gave him authority and power over even the the angel community as well as the you know the fallen demons uh, and also how he was able to hear and understand the language of the creatures, the birds and uh, the different you know animals. And he described in one of his texts, I forget which one um, it is, maybe it's part of that, um, as it comes to pass, the stories of Solomon and David. But he describes how all of the, the birds, their songs are praises to the Most High, how they are singing like the Psalms of David, you know, the... Um, just honoring the Father and honoring God uh, with their song. And he interprets their songs, um, describes in you know some of these ancient manuscripts the what they are actually saying. And so that's interesting in that it also falls in line with um, that, you know, the language of the angels, the language of creation, everything is praising like the cacophony of sounds that we hear in the morning, even the rooster crowing, that all of the creatures in the morning when the sun arises for new day, they give glory unto the Most High. They are praising God for a new opportunity and a new day. And, you know, mankind, we just get ready for work and school and don't even give it a second thought. And yet the entire world is at praise to the Most High, uh, according to the story of Solomon. Thank you. This probably is going to be the last question from Juliet Mary. Are the Amazonian natives people serpent seed? No. Um, the Amazonian, uh, if they're talking about down in Brazil and that surrounding area, or are you talking about the Amazons, like you know the women, uh, the ancient Amazons, like um, Wonder Woman? Um, but you know, again, serpent seed is mixed. We're all serpent seed. We're all seed of the woman. Now, uh, I don't, you know, I know that specifically the Illuminati bloodlines. Yeah, they are the blue bloods, the royal elite, uh, and they are definitely the high-level hierarchy of the seed of Cain. But when it comes to the masses, everything is mixed now. And so, you know, it's hard to tell. Um, I think your actions determine who you are now and how you choose to live your life and whether you're dedicated to the kingdom or not. And that, that is what matters now, is who you are allied to, and whether you are serving Christ or Satan. Because we do have a choice, and our behaviors, our decisions, our intent, the things that we do every day, that determines whether you're serpent seed or not, in my opinion. And conscience will let you know. 
Awesome. Thank you. Oh, man, it's 10.56. All right. We probably should go ahead and pray. Um, but with that, I just wanted to say thank you to everyone who sent in their questions. And if you did, did not get your question answered tonight, you want to make sure that it's in a future episode, please make sure to email us at sacredwordpublishingllc at gmail.com with subject line Zen Garcia. Questions for Zen Garcia. Um, we'll make sure to get it on there. And with that, also, thank you, Zen, for dedicating your life to all of this and then sharing your knowledge with us. Uh, but if you could please close us out in prayer, that would be great. Yes, my, my great honor. Um, I would also encourage people to send in questions for Dr. Joy and Gary Wayne that both Justin and Joy do a monthly AMA with them as well. And yes, so, and really quick, I also want to uh, remind everyone that if you go to sacredwordpublishing.com and click uh, radio shows in the menu, we I know there's a ton of shows that we do, and a lot of people keep saying that they're not getting the reminders and they're not sure what shows we have and when. So please check that out, and we'll make sure to add a link to the description as well as in the live chat. Sorry, Zen, go ahead. Yeah, no per no words. Um, Father God, we are just eternally grateful to you for the blessings of this moment and this day that we can come together in a platform where we are united over the internet and sharing fellowship as ecclesia together. It's just an incredible blessing, an incredible privilege to come together in this manner for questions to be asked, uh, inquiries to be sent, and for me, they have the opportunity to share those things which you have led me to discernment upon. And certainly, Lord, I don't at all claim to have the answers on everything or knowledge of all the secrets that you've revealed and encoded and shared over the years and the centuries and eras of time with the prophets. But I have dedicated my life to the study of what I could find of your word and of the writings of your prophets, your apostles, your scribes, and I've studied them in great detail. Many, many times I've read the same text over and over and over, and every time I do so, I learn something new. There's always some theme that presents itself to me some new knowledge, some new information. And for that, I'm eternally grateful, Lord. I just pray that others also will be led in hunger to seek, to knock, and to find in similarity, and that you will blossom within them uh, not only an, a hunger to seek out this knowledge, and to find these answers, but that in reading and studying that they will be led in discernment, Lord, and that you help them to read in clarity, to understand without confusion, and to make sense of those things that you show us through your word. And I just pray, Lord, that in being able to do this and to study for themselves uh, in showing themselves um, 
studying to show themselves approved that they will also blossom in their relationships with you, with the Father, with the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and that they will come to know you in the manner that I do. I just pray that for everybody out there, Lord, that they can come to know you in deep and personal level and that they will be blessed by knowledge and the certainty that truth, salvation, and eternal life is guaranteed through you and that you have made that promise, that you have made us in your image and that you love us so much that you sent your son to die on the cross in order to redeem us. We thank you for all things. In the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, everyone. And we pray that you'll be able to join us in fellowship tomorrow, 7 p.m. Eastern time at our Digital Readers Club into a deep dive of Yahushua Christ, infancy, Christhood, and lost years. Shalom, everyone. Good night. Good night, all. Be blessed. Shalom. Everyday questions arise. Are the stories in the Bible true? What if I told you that there are hundreds of confirming witnesses which give intricate detail to the stories in the Bible? Have you ever found yourself deep in the rabbit hole with questions that no one seemed to have the answers to? Join us every other Friday at 9 p.m. Eastern Time for our Ask Me Anything series with author and researcher Zen Garcia as he sheds light on the mysteries which have us all searching together.